Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Lots going on tonight. See, the enemy doesn't rest on Friday night. None of the enemies, domestic and foreign, rest on Friday night or any other night or any other day. I think it's uh, something we're going to get into and rather heavily, I know it, and that will be Iran a little later in the program, as they've now taken two tankers today. Two tankers. And... Um, I don't know how much longer we and other countries are going to tolerate this. It's quite amazing to me, quite frankly. And we'll get to that in due course. Tonight, what I want to do is demonstrate to you that the media, the vast majority of the media, with some exceptions, as with the Democrat Party, have made a very ugly turn in this country. The media in this country used to pretend, at least, that they were about news and seeking the objective truth. The Democrat Party in this country used to at least pretend that they were the party of civil rights and civil liberties. It's quite obvious they're not. They're not neither of them. They operate like a hand in a glove. One works for the other. Some days the media take the lead. Some days the Democrat Party take the lead. It doesn't really matter. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that the Washington Post is an anti-Semitic newspaper. You don't have to be Jewish to see this. I'll show you. The Democrat Party is growing anti-Semitism within its ranks. There's no question about that. CNN, growing anti-Semitism within its ranks. The media, really, is a very poisonous, poisonous so-called profession today. And, of course, they want you to believe that Donald Trump is a racist. Donald Trump is not a racist. He's never been a racist. There's no evidence that he was a racist. Now, I was invited by Sean Hannity, as I often am, to be on the Hannity Fox TV show. And I very much enjoy being with my buddy. He's one of my best friends. And I leave my bunker and head over to the TV bunker, the Ronald Reagan TV studio, from where I do Levin TV to do my Fox segment. And I want you to listen to this. Not because you may not have watched it, but I want 
to read to you after you listen to this what the Washington Post had to say about it. This would be the same Washington Post that has censored Rashida Tlaib's lies about the Holocaust. This would be the same Washington Post that has come aggressively to the defense of Omar time and again. New York Times has done the same thing. Why would they come to the defense of these women? Because they're women of color? Of course not. And I'll get into that. And they do hate America. And that's why these reporters who question these particular members of Congress never really dig into that, do they? Never really question why Talib says what she says about America, or Omar says what she says about America, or AOC says what she says about America. The media have made these three stooges the way the media made the Russia collusion issue and on and on and on. But let's get started. Here I am on Hannity last night. Cut one, go. As I watch this idiocy that's taking place in our country, President Trump was addressing the content of the character of these four women, not the color of their skin. But the media want it to be otherwise. The media are projecting and the media are insisting on the opposite because they want the narrative of racism. He didn't talk about race. He didn't talk about skin color. He didn't talk about religion. He talked about them, the content or lack thereof of their character. On the other hand, Omar, Talib, AOC, I don't know this pressly that well, they are degrading an entire faith, an entire people, Jews, Israelis, an entire country, Israel. So it shouldn't surprise anybody that their venom for America is same as their venom for Israel and vice versa. That's typical of the radical hard left. And the evidence is overwhelming that these women are anti-Semite bigots and they don't hide it. They don't hide it. The BDS movement, their constant references to Hitler and the Third Reich and concentration camps. They have no knowledge of history. They've never visited these sites. Uh, Their families really have done nothing for this country. I'm going to be very blunt about it. I don't know what they've done in support of this country while they rip this great country apart, while we have men and women in uniform of all faiths and all colors in one hellhole after another all over the world trying to defend people and promote freedom. We have this fifth column in our country, and they're not alone. The media is a fifth column, too, undermining us at home while our brave men and women are fighting abroad. So they hate the president because he has two strikes against him. He loves America, and he's the greatest president that Israel has ever seen. Recognizing their capital in Jerusalem, moving our embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing sovereignty of Israel over the Golan Heights, kicking the PLO the hell out of our country, cutting off funds for terrorists that are linked to the Palestinian Authority, and it's driving these three anti-Semites nuts. That's what's going on. Now, 50% of the hate crimes in this country are against Jews. The media don't mention, you know, Democrat Party, you have a high tolerance for anti-Semitism in your ranks. Maybe you ought to tone it down. Maybe you ought to tone it down, Omar and Talib and AOC, but no, they're celebrated. They're promoted. Now, let's look at Donald Trump's record when it comes to Muslims 
and women of color, particularly overseas. Let's take a look at Syria, where this commander in chief ordered a tax on Syria to prevent that regime from gassing women of color, men of color, babies of color, Muslims. It was this president who stepped in, not Obama. It's this president who ordered his military to destroy ISIS and the caliphate that was killing women of color, men of color, babies of color, Muslims, Yazidis and Christians too, but primarily Muslims. It's this commander in chief that oversees the war in Afghanistan to protect Muslims from the Taliban. That would be men, women, children of color. Now what the hell of Omar and Talib and AOC done for men and women and children of color? Not a damn thing. Cut to go. Now let's talk about the southern border. It's this president who said, look, and I didn't even agree with this. One, 1.2 million individuals who are here illegally, most of them south of the border, from south of the border. I'll give them legalization, maybe even citizenship if we can cut a deal on immigration. The Democrats said no. Does that sound like a racist to you? It's this president who was prescient and said, secure the border. You have people coming into this country. Some of them are being kidnapped, little kids brought into this country. We need to have a rational, humane process for immigration. It's the Democrats who first said 10 years ago, secure the border, then called this a joke, a manufactured crisis. Now they created the crisis. They created the lack of detention space. They created the lack of physical barriers. And now they blame the president who tried to prevent it. The media have allowed this to happen. They are a disgrace. They have a high tolerance for racism and anti-Semitism. Why? Because they are the mouthpiece for the hard left. This president is not a racist. This president is a patriot. All right. Now, as you can imagine, this didn't go down well at the Washington Compost. Challenges their narrative. Challenges the narrative virtually every newsroom in America. And yet everything I said was 100% accurate. 100% accurate. Omar, Talif, and AOC haven't done anything for women of color, for Muslims, for Hispanics, for anybody. They haven't done a damn thing. And as I said, what have their families ever done? Tell me, what has Omar's family done for America? What has Talib's family done for America? What has AOC's family done for America? And I'm quite serious about this. They've done nothing. And so they attack this country. And they and their family have done nothing to build this country. Zero. And you're damn right I'll raise it. Because this isn't some game. We're playing for keeps. These people are filled, boiling over with hate. Propaganda that has been fed to them in our universities and elsewhere, especially by our media. Now, there's a guy by the name of Tim Elfrink. Yes, that's his name. Writes at the Washington Compost, something called the Morning Consult, I believe. So offended was he by my comments that at 4.25 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, Tim Elfrink got up in his boxer shorts and tank top, ran to his laptop, and wrote a screed. Posted it. 
Immediately. 4.25 a.m. apparently. Here's the headline. Their families really have done nothing for this country, quote-unquote. Fox guests attack on Omar Talib tweeted by White House. Now, first of all, I don't need an interpreter for what I said. The whole world can see it. It's all over the Internet. It was all over Fox. It's been played by multiple sources. I don't need Tim Elfrink to interpret my English, which is plain enough even for Joe Scarborough to understand. But Tim Alfrank thinks he needs to interpret it for you, you see. So what does he say? On Thursday, President Trump sought to distance himself from his supporters who yelled, send her back, referencing a congresswoman born in Somalia whom Trump had earlier targeted with a racist tweet. I will continue to say, ladies and gentlemen, that his tweet was not racist. It was not aimed at her because of her color. Her ethnicity. But because of what she said. The so-called content of her character. I disagree with it, Trump said, of the chant aimed at Representative Ilhan Omar. Now, keep something in mind. Well, let me go on. The president soon made it clear, though, that he had no intention of backing away from blistering criticism of Omar and three other minority congressmen. Well, first of all, why should he back off from his blistering criticism of Omar? And why is it necessary to say these are three other minority congresswomen unless the goal by Tim Elfrink and other, uh, others of his ilk is to continue to try and push a narrative that is a flat-out lie that the president is a racist and he's picking on this, these women because of their race. There is nothing to indicate that. Nothing. On Thursday night, Trump retweeted a fiery five-minute commentary. Now, when this was originally written, Mr. Producer, it was a fiery fire-minute commentary, but apparently he, uh, he went to bed and woke up again and did a spell check. From a Fox News guest who called the women anti-Semi-bigots and said that their families really had done nothing for this country. So you see, I need an interpreter here. Rather than listen to the five minutes in plain English, Tim Alfrink decides he's going to cherry pick. But even when he cherry picks, it doesn't matter. But he has to interpret it for you. The clip was also shared by the official account of the White House, a taxpayer-funded feed that is generally less pugnacious than Trump's personal handle. So they continue to introduce these little cheap shots. Oh, it was on the White House website. That's taxpayer-funded. That's okay. So is Omar's salary, and she's still an anti-Semite. Let's continue. In the clip from Fox News, host Sean Hannity's Thursday night show, conservative radio host Mark Levin defends Trump's attacks on Omar and fellow freshman Democrat, Democratic representatives Rashida Tlaib, Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez, and Alina Presley. As a matter of fact, I said I don't know anything about Presley. Didn't I say that, Mr. Producer? Although Omar, a Somali refugee, became an American citizen at 17, and the other three were born in the United States, Trump on Sunday suggested that they go back to the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came. He says the suggestion echoed a long-standing racist trope. Love it or leave it, you see, is now racist. 
It's all right. We've been hearing this for days now. Levin, employing a talking point often used by the president. I didn't coordinate with the president. I didn't coordinate with his people. We haven't discussed this at all with anybody. Instead, homes in on the claims of anti-Semitism against the congresswomen. This fool, Elfrink, obviously doesn't listen to this program. I have been focused in on the anti-Semitism from these three women, Mr. Producer, for months. For months. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. You know, our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions, locked in the grip of political correctness. They no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. Now, as Hillsdale celebrates its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. And let me add, I think so much of Hillsdale College. I donated an original copy of a compilation of the Federalist Papers, which sit today as I speak at the Kirby Center. Hillsdale College, America's College. So look how this works. You got this guy, Tim Elfink, the Fink, L. Fink of the Washington Compost who plays up what Trump says and projects it as racist, even though he was talking about the content of what these women had been saying. But look how he talks about them. Omar has criticized the role of the Israeli lobby. What Israeli lobby? APAC? APAC isn't an Israeli lobby. It supports the alliance between America and Israel. It's not an Israeli lobby. It's not part of the Israeli government. It's not paid for by the Israeli government. You see, Mr. Elfink himself deals in the currency of anti-Semitism. APEC isn't an Israeli lobby. I really want you to listen to this. Gentile, Jew, atheist, whatever you are. This is very, very important because there's a bigger thing going on here, a bigger picture, and I want to explain it to you. We'll be right back. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course, Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. 
in just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long. You'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. You know, ladies and gentlemen, in the last six months, we've done more on this show to expose the media, the core of its ideology, the people involved in it, the use of propaganda, the use of pseudo-events, the history of the media. Between this radio show and my book, we have done more of, I think, a crucially important public service in the name of freedom of the press than has ever done before. Well, my good friend Cal Thomas, the columnist, brilliant man, read on freedom of the press. He basically said there's never been a book like this because it's not what you expect. And it is incredibly useful for me, myself as the author of this book, and those of you who have purchased it and read it, as we go through these events that makes it possible to analyze these events. Omar has criticized, writes Tim Elfink of the Washington Post in response to me, the role of the Israeli lobby. So he uses a trope from the Jew haters in his article. There is no Israeli lobby. APAC tries to strengthen and support the alliance between America and Israel. It's not an Israeli lobby. And apologize for suggesting that money motivates politicians to back Israel. Notice he doesn't quote Omar. She's talked about how it's about the Benjamins baby. In other words, the Jews and their money. But look how passive Tim Elfink is when he writes this. In order to take the bite out of it. So you're wondering, gee, why, why are they criticizing Omar so much? And the people who just read the Washington Compost and the New York Slimes and watch CNN, they don't know any better. He goes on, both she and Talib support the divisive BDS movement for boycott, divestment, and sanctions, which aims to economically pressure Israel to grant more rights to Palestinians. That's not what the BDS movement is about. It seeks to economically destroy the state of Israel, and it's aimed at Jews in Israel, not Muslims in Israel, not Arabs in Israel, the Jews in Israel, Jewish-owned businesses, you know, much like the Third Reich, Jewish-owned businesses, Jewish tourism. And this Washington Post reporter, Tim Elfink, just blows it off as, well, people just want more rights for the Palestinians. Ocasio-Cortez has also faced blowback for comparing U.S. Border Patrol detainment facilities to concentration camps. And that's it. Then he goes on. That's it. That's all she ever did. Of course, she's done much more than that. 
one neutral paragraph. And yet the president's one sentence out of his tweet, day in, day out, day in and day out. And of course, the effort, the effort to try and interpret what I actually said in order to take the, uh, the edge off of it. Trump regularly cites those controversies in his relentless criticism of the women. Facing blowback over his racist tweets this week. Now, he never says Omar's anti-Semitic comments. He never says Talib's anti-Semitic comments. He never says Ocasio-Cortez's anti-Semitic comments. But over and over again, talks about Trump's racist tweets. Trump is talking about these women, what they've said, and he's criticizing that. These women are trashing an entire state, a Jewish state, Israel. The Jewish faith with the usual anti-Semitic tropes. But Tim Elfink is not interested in really reporting the news and the facts. He's got a narrative. Just like the others in the newsrooms across the country. Trump regularly cites those controversies. Facing blowback over his racist tweets this week, he lashed out at Omar by claiming that she hates Jews, hates Israel. That message left some Jewish leaders, including the chief executive of the Anti-Defamation League, concerned that the president was using claims of anti-Semitism to mask his own intemperate remarks. Now, notice again, Tim Elfink is a complete fraud and propagandist. The head of the Anti-Defamation League is an Obama former confidant and staffer at at his uh, White House. He's an Obama guy. Notice Tim Alfink doesn't quote Mort Klein, who runs the Zionist Organization of America, because Mort Klein would have a totally different view, and the ZOA is far larger than the ADL. But notice, so the paragraph above, he talks about the Israeli lobby, APAC, just like a good anti-Semite. Then when it comes to citing a Jewish organization that is very, very troubled by why Omar has said, he cites the anti-defamation lake because it's not, because they're in the tank for the Democrats. Levin made a similar argument as the president, saying that the evidence is overwhelming that these women are anti-Semi-bigots. And I have made this case day in and day out for months. But Levin also more broadly hints at the president's suggestion that the congresswomen are un-American. I've said they're un-American, and I don't need anybody hinting to me. or I haven't hinted. I use plain English. Their families really have done nothing for this country, Levin says. I'm going to be very blunt about it. I don't know what they've done in support of this country. Okay, does anybody? Tell me, what did Omar's father and grandfather, her mother died early on in Somalia, what have they done for our country? What have Talib's parents, who came from the Middle East, both Palestinians, what have they done for our country? When you have men and women in uniform, and he doesn't point this out, men and women in uniform overseas, fighting and dying for this country, sacrificing for this country. Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, and nothing. Atheist. Black, white, brown, 
yellow, red, whatever. These families have contributed nothing to this society that they seek to destroy. That's my point. It's a legitimate point. Levin also argues that Trump's record belies claims of racism, noting that presidents ordered to hit Syria with missile strikes to prevent gas attacks on civilians, and his backing of other military ventures in Muslim nations. It's this commander-in-chief that oversees the war in Afghanistan to protect Muslims from the Taliban, Levin says. Of course, I said much more than that. I said much more than that. And look at Syria. What did Barack Obama do to protect those people in Syria? People of color, Muslims, nothing. What did Barack Obama do to defeat ISIS? Nothing. And all the people of color, Muslims, who were slaughtered, among others, by ISIS. This is important. These are facts. This is reality. But Tim Elfink's not interested in that. Trump's decision to share the clip, not only with his own 62.1 million followers, but also through at the White House, which has 18.8 million followers, and his official POTUS account, which retweeted it to 26.3 million more, suggests that a week of withering criticism, including some from his own party, isn't likely to slow his attacks on Omar and her colleagues. Notice he doesn't talk about Omar slowing her attacks on the president, on Jews, on Israel, on America. Doesn't even enter this clown's head. Let's go on. The White House account often reflects a more straightforward take on policy than Trump's freewheeling, at real Donald Trump handle. As the Washington Post, Phil Bump, oh, Philly Bump. Philly Bump is back. Philly Bump. Noted in 2017, the White House account is regularly stuck to orchestrated themes like infrastructure week, while Trump all but ignored policy in his own tweets. So now we have Tim Elfink quoting Philly Bump, two Washington Compost reporters, one quoting the other. Trump's administration has faced blowback for its use of the account. So now it's a matter of the use of the accounts. See, they're so for free speech. Is that how they talk about Omar's official house account? Have they even looked at it? Seen the things that she puts on it? Not in the least. Not in the least. Trump retweeted patently false Trump claims and his attacks on a business that dropped his daughter's clothing line. And blah. Boy, the hate, the vile, the poison that Tim L. Fink and Philly Bump and the others of the Washington Compost must have as a condition of employment at the Washington Compost is amazing, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Now, the Washington Compost. Here's a piece from our friends at the Daily Caller, May 15, 2019. This is why you listen to this show. We do research here. By Rachel Stoltzfus. The Washington Post's coverage of Democratic Representative Rashida Tlaib's remarks concerning the Holocaust over the weekend is limited to stories defending her from criticism. Talib said she gets a calming feeling when she considers the Holocaust because her Palestinian ancestors provided a refuge for Jews in the aftermath of World War II on the Skullduggery podcast hosted by Yahoo News journalists Michael Isikoff and Daniel Klebman. Now, both of these men are Jewish, and both of them are utterly illiterate about history. American, Israel, 
Jewish, Middle East, and so forth, because they didn't challenge her. Her comments were easy to misconstrue and in any case historically inaccurate, which led to swift denunciation from leading Republicans and Israel's ambassador to the United States, who called her remarks grossly anti-Semitic and ignorant. Wow, Tim Elfink, that's the Israeli ambassador to the UN, that's not even Trump. The Washington Post published a series of reports and opinion pieces defending Talib, but declined to do a straight news story on her remarks. Here's a sampling. Headlines from the Washington Post. Dems say Trump GOP twisting Talib's Holocaust remarks. It's an op-ed. Republicans stop using the Holocaust to score cheap political points. An analysis. Republicans are ignoring reality to twist Representative Talib's calming Holocaust remarks. News report. House Republicans criticize Representative Talib over remarks on the Holocaust in Israel. Here's an op-ed. Rashida Talib in the anatomy of a smear. As Philip Klein, who's a great columnist, points out in the Washington Examiner, Talib's comments disregarded the historical presence of Jews in the region before the Holocaust. The alliance her Palestinian ancestors made with Hitler during the Holocaust. And the long history of violence Palestinians have waged against Jews, among other historical inaccuracies. Talib's comments came in response to the question of whether she supports a one-state solution to the Israel-Palestinian conflict. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, and I could go on and on. We not only have a problem in the modern Democrat Party with this rising tide of Jew hatred, anti-Semitism, and American hatred. And notice they all go hand in hand, would you? But it's in the media in a significant way. It's at the Washington Post. It's at the New York Times. Read Chapter 6 of Unfreedom of the Press. And it's also at CNN. What was that professor's name again? I keep forgetting his name, the guy that used to work at Temple University. Mark Lamont Hill there ever was an anti-Semite for the longest time. He was a paid contributor to CNN. They finally had to get rid of him. Finally. But they have others. Jake Tapper, Democrat first, who was a press person for Marjorie Mezvinsky, may recall her, a short-term Democrat in the House, was a spokesman for Handgun Control Inc. Now he's a spokesman for the Democrat Party at CNN, like they all are. You know what he did a few days ago? This is from Fox. CNN shocked viewers and even some current and former staffers last Tuesday when it aired an interview with infamous white nationalist Richard Spencer with some media watchdogs positing that the struggling liberal network will do whatever it takes to criticize President Trump. The segment, which aired on The Lead with Jake Tapper, put a spotlight on Spencer ditching his Trump support. Quote, many white nationalists will eat up this red meat that Donald Trump is throwing out there. I'm not one of them, Spencer said on Tapper's show. So they bring this neo-Nazi on CNN for the purpose of attacking Trump. That's how low... At the bottom of the gutter, Jake Tapper and CNN have gone. A current CNN employee reached out to Fox News on the condition of anonymity to express discomfort with the network putting Spencer on air. I thought I'd seen it all at CNN, then this. I guess any guest they think can embarrass Trump. What's next, a Klansman wearing a hood? More when I return. in.
Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. I am told that, let's see here, Ilian Omar was a guest on the Mark Lamont Hill show, Mr. Producer. Mark Lamont Hill of a show, what's he, have a podcast? Doesn't everybody? Birds of a feather. It really is poisonous out there, ladies and gentlemen. I see Rand Paul put a tweet out. I'll respond to that next hour. Honestly, I didn't know he knew how to tweet. But apparently he does. Iran's favorite senator, Rand Paul. He wants to be a go-between, you see, between America and Iran. And I've asked, well, which side is he on? Oh, Mark, how can you say that? Look, Rand Paul's foreign policy is not that far from Ilhan Omar's. That's the truth. It's not that far from Bernie Sanders. He's a chip off his old man's shoulder. Chip off the old man's block. When it comes to foreign policy, Rand Paul's an ideologue. He's not practical. He's not prudent. He's a blame America firster. And I'm sick and tired of these blame America firsters, whether they have an R on their forehead or a D on their forehead or, or a, a Democratic Socialist DS on their forehead. See Washington Compost and New York Times? I'm not picking on a woman of color. I'm picking, picking on a man of no color. And I'll be doing that next hour. Rand Paul's ideology when it comes to foreign policy is extraordinarily dangerous. He rejects Reagan's traditional foreign policy beliefs. He rejects the president's traditional foreign policy beliefs. He embraces a radical form of libertarianism that comes full circle and joins with democratic socialists in a blame America first foreign policy. I won't stand it, whether it's Omar or Paul. More when I return. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Fun's just starting, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Has Rand Paul criticized Omar Talib? do you know, on their views in foreign policy? I'm asking a serious question. I don't know the answer. I'm just curious. How about Bernie Sanders' view of foreign policy? Is he criticized that? Again, I'm just curious. You all can run to your Google and Bing and so forth sites and, and let me know. But let me develop this because Rand Paul wants to engage me and I want to engage him. No, not that way. Senator Rand Paul tweets out, but he, has, he doesn't have much of a Twitter following, Mr. Producer. What's he got here? It's time to finally turn the page in how America defines and achieves a better national security, quote-unquote, any links to an article at the spectator.us, not the American Spectator, by a guy by the name of Jack Hunter. Jack Hunter used to be on Rand Paul's staff. He had to resign. So what's this all about? Well, again, it's the battle for the future of the country. That's what ideas are all about. There was a piece in a great website, the Free Beacon, by Alana Goodman back in July 2013 when this Rand Paul staffer had to resign, Jack Hunter. People in South Carolina are quite familiar with who Jack Hunter is. You're not. The title of the piece is Rebel Yell, Rand Paul Aid has history of neo-Confederate sympathies and inflammatory statements. This is not only the guy who Rand Paul hired, he's the guy he links to tonight. A close aide to Senator Rand Paul, who co-wrote the Senator's 2011 book. Now, let's stop right there. Rand, you can't write your own book? You need somebody to co-write a book for you? Why? who co-wrote the senator's 2011 book, spent years working as a pro-secessionist radio pundit and neo-Confederate activist. This is who Rand Paul hires. This is who Rand Paul links to. Raising questions about whether Paul will be able to transcend the same fringe figure associations that dogged his father's political career. And I've always said that Ron Paul's a crackpot. Should have read those newsletters of his. You would have thought he was Elian Omar or Rashida Talib. Paul hired Jack Hunter, 39, to help write his book, The Tea Party Goes to Washington, during his 2010 Senate run. Hunter joined Paul's office as his social media director in August 2012. From 1999 to 2012, Hunter was a South Carolina radio shock jock known as the Southern Avenger. He's weighed in on issues such as racial pride and Hispanic immigration, stated his support for the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. That's what they write here. I understand he has since denounced himself. During public appearances, Hunter often wore a mask on which was printed a Confederate flag. Prior to his radio career, while in his 20s, Hunter was chairman of the League of the South, which advocates the secession they're quoting, and subsequent independence of the southern states from this forced union and the formation of a southern republic, quote-unquote. Now, there's a conservative, right, ladies and gentlemen? 
The League of the South is an implicitly racist group. And that the idealized version of the South that they promote is one in which to use their ideology is dominated by Anglo-Celtic culture, which is their code word for white, said Mark Pitkavage. Now, this was when the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, was actually a good group. Not today. The League of the South maintains that it is not racist and does not discriminate in terms of membership. When I was part of it, they were very explicit that that's not what they were about, Hunter said in an interview with the Free Beacon. I was a young person. It was a fairly radical group, the same way a person on the left might be attracted in college to some left-wing radical groups. He doesn't recall when he left the organization, but said it was probably in the 1990s. Hunter was last listed as chairman of the Charleston chapter of the League of South in 1999, according to the group's website. That doesn't sound like he was very young back then, does it, Mr. Producer? Smart enough to know better. Old enough to know better. Apparently not smart enough. By the early 2000s, Hunter was providing anonymous political commentary under the moniker The Southern Avenger on local rock radio station 96 Wave. They have a picture with him wearing a uh, Confederate mask. Guess he was embarrassed of himself. Transcripts of some of Hunter's monologues from 2003 to 2007 are available in archive versions. In a 50-minute interview with the Washington Free Beacon on Hunter renounced most of his comments. In one 2004 commentary, Hunter said, Lincoln assassin John Wilkes Booth's heart was in the right place. Quote, although Lincoln's assassin John Wilkes Booth's heart was in the right place, the Southern Avenger does regret that Lincoln's murder automatically turned him into a martyr, he said in 2004. He later wrote that he raises a personal toast every May 10 to celebrate John Wilkes Booth's birthday. He also compared Lincoln to Saddam Hussein and suggested that the 16th president would have had a romantic relationship with Hitler if the two had met. Many of Hunter's monologues touched on racial issues and his contention that white people are subject to a racial double standard. And he goes on and on and on. He says today that he rejects what he said back then. 2,800 began writing for a paleo-conservative website, such as the American Conservative and Takis Magazine. He also began posting his Southern Avenger commentaries under his own name. In one 2008 monologue, not that long ago, Hunter said the atomic bomb of Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II was the moral equivalent of the 9-11 attacks. Listen to this. I can say unequivocally that I find the terrorism committed on 9-11 and the terrorism committed in early August of 1945, that is the dropping of the atomic bombs, both deplorable on the same grounds. The harsh, uncomfortable reality is that in terms of scale and slaughter, the most colossal terrorist attack in the history of this planet was committed by the same country that often claims to be the greatest nation on earth. This is what I keep trying to explain to you. These hate America firsters when it comes to foreign policy. And I believe that is what Rand Paul is. I don't think there's a lot of difference between the Rand Paul foreign policy and Ilhan Omar's. And I'm the only one calling him out because he's gotten away with this for years. But if he wants to pick a fight, I'm here. I have no problem. No problem. In another 2008 commentary, Hunter accused neoconservatives of pushing America into wars on behalf of Israel. See, that's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. That kind of bigotry. That's what's going on here. 
So Iran threatens us. Iran takes oil tankers. Iran shoots down one of our devices. Iran's plotting against us. Must be the Jewish neocons, you see. You know, like John Bolton. He's not Jewish nor neocon. Quote, whether for Israel or oil or both, a permanent U.S. foothold in the Middle East has been the primary neoconservative goal since day one, certainly since long before 9-11. Hunter defended his pro-secessionist views as recently as 2009. In my early 20s, I was a full-blown right-wing radical. As a member of the Southern Secessionist Group, the League of South. Now, this is after he got caught, you see. I argued seriously for the states of the old Confederacy to break away from the rest of the Union. I thought we had a civil war, Mr. Producer. Wrote Hunter in the Charleston City paper column. I thought it might be better to tone down the radicalism and at least try to appear more respectable. But when I came across an old column of mine last week, I realized I never really changed. I'm still just as radical or crazy, depending on your perspective. In fact, I might be getting worse. He later described his support for secession as a brand of politics I still subscribe to to today. Hunter told the Free Beacon that he no longer holds many of these views. He said he has changed his position on Lincoln's assassination, but still believes the Civil War was a mistake. You can be for the conclusion of a war without being for war, Hunter said. I don't think assassinating a president is ever right unless it was somebody like Adolf Hitler. He said his comments about Hispanic immigrants and culture was meant to be Quote, a point about how the culture changes with migration patterns. That's true. The difference between now and then is I saw that as a serious problem then. I don't think that's such a serious problem now. He expressed surprise when he read his remarks about race, saying, and it goes on. Paul's office provided a statement to the Free Beacon. Remember, this is 2013. Senator Paul holds his staff to a standard that includes treating every individual with equal protection and respect without exception, said spokesperson Maura Bagley. Paul and Hutter grew close after the then-Senate candidate hired the former radio pundit to help write his first book, The Tea Party Goes to Washington, in 2010. Quote, while the book was being written, Hunter spent the weeks balancing time on the trail with time writing in a Kentucky hotel room. Typing about 14 hours each day, reported the Charleston City Paper in a 2011 profile of Hunter. He collected about 40 hours of conversations with Paul and grew close with the family. On election night, Hunter taught Paul's son how to play ACDC's TNT for the celebration. And it goes on. And on and on. Paul's father, Representative Ron Paul, came under fire in 2008 when the New Republic reported he had published a series of racially insensitive newsletters in the 1990s. The elder Paul maintains that the newsletters which were published under his name were actually written by others at the time, while the younger Paul has tripped over sensitive rate. Ah, it goes on. Anyway, so Jack Hunter has written his second screed. His first one was attacking me and Ben Shapiro for our foreign policy views specifically as relates to Iran. And you see, you're not allowed to disagree with Jack Hunter and Rand Paul and the rest. You're not allowed to call them out. No. And he wrote a piece that went up, not on the American Spectator, but something called Spectator U.S. Mark Levin puts war first and America last. Mark Levin puts war first and America last when my 
family has fought in wars? So I put war first and America last. And this is the article that Rand Paul links to by Jack Hunter today on Twitter. This evening, half hour, hour ago. Now, I'm not going to waste time reading Jack Hunter, the Southern Avengers article. I could give a damn what he says. But a U.S. senator links to it? Proudly? What is your foreign policy, Rand Paul? How does it differ from Talib? and Omar and Bernie Sanders. Your ideology applied to foreign policy is quite dangerous. You say you're against war. The problem is genius. There's a lot of genocidal maniacs all over the world who are not against war. And in order to protect our children and grandchildren, including my children and grandchildren, there needs to be a dose of reality. America isn't responsible for these wars, Mr. Paul. Our enemies are responsible for these wars. And the fact that you still link the Jack Hunter articles really points out how weak you are, how pathetic you are, how dumb you must be, to be perfectly honest about it. You want to be the the president's Point man on Iran? Does anybody with any ounce of intelligence believe Rand Paul with his ideology should be the point man on Iran when he's busy talking to the foreign minister of Iran who has him wrapped around his finger? I don't support war. Did I say I support war with Iran, Mr. Producer? I didn't support the intervention in Libya. We can go down in each country and talk about each event. Happy to do it. I'm not an ideologue on these issues. Not a neocon. Not an interventionist. I wrote about it in Liberty and Tyranny. You can read the chapter. It's called Self-Preservation. Some of us think Iran is an enormously dangerous country. That the regime... Is an enormously dangerous regime. That appeasement doesn't work. Obama tried it, plus $150 billion. Doesn't mean we favor war. If there's to be war, it'll be Iran's fault. Not America's fault. I'm sick of war, Mark. Well, who isn't sick of war? The fact of the matter is we have men and women in uniform who have volunteered to protect this country. The fact of the matter is 99% of the people in this country have no intention of going to war ever. But ask those men and women in uniform if they agree with Rand Paul. Let me suggest they don't. They don't. I agree with Rand Paul on a lot of matters when it comes to the Constitution and spending. But in this area, he's not a constitutionalist. He's an ideologue. Every bit the ideologue of Omar and Talib when it comes to foreign policy. Mark, how many more foreign wars are we going to be involved in? Just think of that phrase for a second, foreign wars. How many wars do we have now? within our country. We don't have wars within our country. All wars are foreign wars. 
I'm not talking about domestic battles and so wars, all out wars. Even the phrase is idiotic. But I have no idea. I have no idea. I just know freedom is always under threat overseas and here at home. No, we shouldn't go to war all the time. But I have faith in this president. I have faith in his advisors. I think he's got a great team, and I think he's got, got his head screwed on nice and tight. And I don't think we need radical hate America first types when it comes to foreign policy whispering in his ear. You keep linking to Jack Hunter there, genius, and I'll keep pointing it out. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. the nature of the sophomoric debate that Rand Paul and his friend Jack Hunter participate in. The headline of of the Southern Avengers article, Mark Levin puts war first and America last. Isn't that the sort of thing that Talib would say? Really? Now I put America first, the American military first. American patriotism first. I don't blame America for our wars. Senator Paul. But I blame blame the likes of you for our massive debt. Well, I vote and vote, but you're an incompetent. You can't pull together enough people to support your positions. You're on a soapbox like a homeless purpose, yelling at the top of your lungs, but you achieve absolutely nothing. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. You know, Rand Paul and his old man really despised Ronald Reagan's foreign policy. It's all there in Google. You can all dig it up. There'd still be a Soviet Union if the Pauls had their way. 
there'd still be a Soviet Union. Because they're mindless ideologues when it comes to foreign policy. I am a constitutional conservative, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I am. The media don't understand me. People like this don't understand me. But you understand me. Because I'm one of you. I was asked a very smart question when uh, Ben Shapiro interviewed me for his uh, podcast a couple Sundays ago. And he said, and I mentioned this to you briefly, but it's worth repeating now. How do you interpret the Constitution? You know, the libertarians interpret it one way or the other way. I said, that's a fascinating question. Because I don't interpret the Constitution as an ideologue. There is no libertarian interpretation of the Constitution. You interpret the Constitution. It's like saying, is there a libertarian interpretation of my mortgage documents? No, you interpret your mortgage documents. But of course, the Constitution is far more important. So you should take that very, very seriously. You take an oath to uphold the Constitution, not the libertarian interpretation of the Constitution. You can be a libertarian and live that way in your private life. I have no problem with it. Do whatever you want. But a libertarian view or a libertarian lifestyle has nothing to do with interpreting the Constitution. We are constitutionalists, which means read it. Try and apply the text. And if the text is somewhat ambiguous, look behind the text. Not as an activist, not as a libertarian, not as a leftist. What did the framers mean? What was their intent? Try and figure it out. Try and discern it. That's what you do. As a citizen, not a libertarian interpretation of the Constitution, any more than there's a socialist interpretation of the Constitution. Now, when it comes to foreign policy, this brand of Rand Paul, Jack Hunter, that kind of ideology or doctrine is extraordinarily dangerous. Look, Rand Paul ran for president. I think he got half a percent of the vote of the Republican primaries. But it's an outlier view. It's not a constitutionalist view. It's not a conservative view. It's not a prudential view. It's an ideological view. And that's why his approach to foreign policy is not unlike Ilhan Omar's or Rashida Tlaib's. And I'm not saying that to be provocative. They're just very similar. And I would note you clowns at the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and all the rest of you frauds. That Rand Paul is neither a woman nor a person of color. And yet, see, we disagree. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? All right. As you know, Donnie Douche, you don't know from watching MSNBC, but from my mentioning him, Donnie Douche is a regular on the Morning Schmo Show. Joe Scarborough is definitely one of the dumbest human beings on television. And I include children's cartoons. And that's why he looks like the banjo player on the bridge from Deliverance. Go ahead and look at them. Compare the two photos. Others have. And they're right. Beady little eyes and a bulbous nose. Anyway, forget all that. So they keep bringing this Donnie Douche back on. Donnie Douche is worth tens of millions of dollars. And the other night, I guess it was the other day, he announced that he wanted to talk just to the white people out there. Just to the white people. Now, first of all, that's pretty sick and bizarre. 
So what, everybody else is supposed to lower the volume? And by everybody else, I mean the other three or four people. So uh, Donnie Douche says, uh, I just want to talk to the white people out there. We white people have a response. We white people that we white people that I have nothing in common with this jackass. Nothing whatsoever. I mean, we white people. Who the hell is this guy? Is that how people talk? Well, when you're a liberal and you want to be accepted in the modern newsroom, that's how you talk. That's how you talk. And you know why else they say it? Shelby Steele taught me this. Because that way, you see, nobody can ever call Donnie Douche a racist. Nobody can ever complain about Donnie Douche's motives. You see, because Donnie Douche, he's already said, look, he and white people fill in the blank. So here's Donnie Douche on MSNBC. And I want to remind you, MSNBC touts itself as a cable news channel. A cable news channel. How can it be a cable news channel when you have Scarborough and Mrs. Scarborough and this clown? The morning schmo, Mrs. Schmo, and this schmo. But here they are today. Cut six, go. I want people to go back and look at Nazi Germany in the early 30s because the parallels are stunning. Stunning, and we be, oh, it can't happen here, it can't happen here. It can happen here. And I want to challenge people, where, I, I did this the other day, I want to challenge people of means. I'm not talking about people who need a job and believe Trump is going to get it for him. If you vote for Trump, you can no longer now say, well, he's good for the economy, you know, and he's good for Israel. By the way, he would throw Israel overboard in a second if it was better for him. Do not kid yourself. And you own it now. You know, if you're the person that votes for Donald Trump. This is a very sick man who is drunk on his own ego and his own narcissism, who's projecting. Look at Nazi Germany in the early 30s. Has he criticized Omar? Has he criticized Talib? No, he hasn't that I'm aware of. This guy repeatedly brings up Nazi Germany, neo-Nazis, and Hitler. And they parade him through MSNBC like a stripper in one of these storefront strip joints. He's paraded. They like what he has to say. They like what he has to say. He's also a liar. But it doesn't matter. I want to remind young people about Nazi Germany. I want to remind you. The wholesale slaughter of people. People shipped into Germany and shipped into conquered territories. For the purpose of being murdered. By the millions. The elimination of the Jews was a primary objective of the Third Reich. And just to show you what a moron Donnie Deutsch and Douche, whatever his name is, I don't know if it's Sephardic or Ashkenazi, 
I give it the Ashkenazi pronunciation. In any event, Donnie, he wants you to look at Trump. The best friend the Jews, the Israelis have ever had in the Oval Office. And he wants you to believe that that's like Nazi Germany. That's how sick this man is. What he won't say on MSNBC, on Joe Scarborough's show, is that if you look at Nazi Germany in the 1930s, you cannot look at the New York Times because the New York Times didn't write much about the rise of the Third Reich in the 1930s. What he doesn't say is look at this news article on the front page of the New York Times, alerting the world to the disappearance of Jews from one European city after the other. He won't point to the New York Times because the New York Times never wrote such a headline. Notice he won't say, look at the Nazi Germany in the early 30s, he says, but he doesn't say, look at the New York Times, how they reported about how individuals who escaped these concentration camps, AOC, and what they were saying, first person, first eyewitness accounts. The New York Times ignored them. Donnie Douche won't mention that. Donnie Douche won't mention that the ownership of the New York Times, which was Jewish, by the way, like I believe Donnie Douche is, that the ownership of the New York Times intentionally downplayed what was taking place, while at the same time, trying to get their relatives out of Nazi Germany. He won't tell you that. And he dares to say, look at Nazi Germany in the early 30s. The Washington Post, look at all the articles they printed. They didn't. They didn't. And yet they knew what was taking place. It wasn't until 1944 that the American people were informed by their news media of what had been taking place at these concentration camps. And this piece of crap, Donnie Douche, sits there and projects Nazi Germany on a president of the United States who has 80% support among the Jews in Israel. 80% support. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. Different than if you were watching on a subway, five white nationalists berate an African-American woman saying, go back to where you came from, and then you hid and you put your head in. I have no idea what this clown's talking about. But if you want to watch a white nationalist, all you have to do is turn to Jake Tapper's show on CNN, because apparently he had this Richard Spencer, or not apparently, in fact did, just a few days ago. And let me tell you something. Double D, you moron. The president wouldn't go up to or nobody would go up to those five women and say what you say they would say. But the president would and others would go up to people who keep trashing their country. Who keep trashing their country. Notice Donnie Douche never talks about the young men and women in uniform who are fighting overseas. Never. Notice Donnie Douche never talks about the men and women of color in Syria, the men and women of color who were under the control of ISIS, that this president protected and defended with his military actions. 
because that's not the narrative over there at MSNBC or CNN. And Donnie Douche knows in order to be accepted in the Hamptons, in order to be accepted in Manhattan, in order to be accepted among his little circle of jerks, may I say, this is what he has to be, a complete fool. Brings up Nazi Germany. This is a sick man. And the fact that NBC News and MSNBC, owned by Comcast Cable, doesn't give this clown the hook, tells you all you need to know. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Few things in life can change your entire outlook on the day. Call from your boss asking you to work the weekend, early construction right outside your bedroom window in the morning you want to sleep in. These are day ruiners. Or how about when your check engine light comes on? That's a big one. That usually means thousands of dollars in repairs. That's why I have CarShield. CarShield makes the process of fixing your car for a covered repair super easy. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work. It's your choice. They also provide 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. Now, if your car is 5,000 to 150,000 miles, it doesn't mean you have to pay high repair bills. Don't let your check engine light change your life. Get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection like I did. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code LEVIN or visit carshield.com. Use code LEVIN and you'll save 10% either way. That's carshield.com, code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, or call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code LEVIN. A deductible may apply. Go ahead. Let's hear more of Donnie Douche. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. It's on white people. It really, really is. You don't get to say he's good for the economy and they all say stuff like that. No, they don't. This is a man. What what is this is a sick fool, a buffoon. It's all on white. What's all on white people? What's all on white people? All the white people say it's good for the economy. What is this fool talking about? And he goes on for like two minutes with this stuff uninterrupted because he's obviously so profound. 
And then there's the morning schmo. Cut seven, go. But when thousands of Americans in the audience chant... Now, he does his, um, his dramatic reading. Like he's in a middle school play. Just because the dunces around him, really, they hang on his every word, so he has to do it with deep breath. Every syllable. Go ahead. Her back to a member of Congress because of her color, because she's a Muslim. That's not what they said, you clown. It's not what they said at all. Not because of her color, because she's a Muslim. First of all, I don't know what they thought since I wasn't there and I didn't talk to them. But notice how they project these arguments onto all these people. Notice. They project on these people that they're saying this because she's a Muslim or because of her color. I seriously doubt that. I don't believe it. That's not what the president did, and they're putting words in his mouth. And I don't believe that's what these people did. Whether you like what they said or not, I just think the whole damn thing's overblown. And that's what the media do, all the Russia collusion, right? oh, obstruction, oh, oh, nasty. Did he say the princess was nasty or comments were nasty? Oh, every damn week it's something, isn't it? Every week it's something. Because the media are sick. Cut eight, go. How many immigrants do we have in Silicon Valley right now? That have created this new world for us. That have I don't know. Us- How many illegal aliens have created this new world for us? I'd say none. Next to none. Somebody talking about immigrants or illegal aliens? You see how they play this game? Joe is a low IQ guy, but he's, he's figured out how to play the angles here in order to get his gig at MSLSD. Let me explain something to you. He and his sidekick, who became his wife, they were failures at radio. They were given a prime mid-morning slot, and they couldn't get any ratings. People despise them. They're rambling like buffoons. Then they say, we're going to take a little sabbatical and rework our program. They took a long sabbatical. They never came back. Joe Scarborough tried to get a job at Fox many years ago. Roger Ailes turned him down. So they said, all right, look, look. What are we going to do, Mika? What are we going to do? There's only so many places left. Let's go to MSNBC. Not MSNBC. No, no, let's go to MSNBC. Well, where else are we going to go? No, not MSNBC. Yes, MSNBC. We got to go to MSNBC. And so Joe and Mika went to MSNBC, where they're paid millions of dollars for their 12 listeners and viewers. A million dollars a viewer. Can you believe that? I'll be right back. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. 
Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I feel like I'm watching Al Jazeera TV right now, Mr. Producer, if you're watching what I'm watching. Conga line of guests telling us that America's itching for war and John Bolton needs to go, and there needs to be more talks with the Iranian foreign minister. What happened today, Rich? Did the Iranians just take two uh, tankers out of commission in international waters? That makes three in like three or four days. And they've taken the, uh, the crew. They've kidnapped the crew. Must be America's fault. We're itching for a war, you see, ladies and gentlemen. And tensions are rising. And what the President of the United States needs to do right now, ladies and gentlemen, is fire John Bolton. Wouldn't the Iranians love that? So John Bolton's the boogeyman. It's like Halliburton, you know. John Bolton, the patriot. So you're going to hear this from the code pink wing, or I should call it the Ilhan Omar wing of the Republican Party and media. So we get a conga line of oddballs telling us how the entrenched people in Washington, D.C. want war. I, I just uh, sometimes I'm just astonished by the stupidity that I have to hear by the ideologues. Did you know Donald Trump is surrounded by people who want war? John Bolton wants war, ladies and gentlemen. Did you know that? Why are these people attacking John Bolton? Shouldn't they be attacking the people who run Iran? Did John Bolton take a, uh, a tanker today? Two? Taking Americans, kidnapped, uh, kidnapped Americans? Killed Americans? No, so, so why the hate for John Bolton? This is partly, Philip Klein is a great piece, great column today at the uh, Washington Examiner. You should check it out in part, I think. Because the Iranians are very good at propaganda. And unfortunately, there are some people in our own country that seem to be repeating it. The Iranians took provocative actions today. Not we, the American people. Not the United States Navy. No, we're not looking for war. The Iranians are in multiple wars. They're looking for war. Has nothing to do with the Iraq war that took place. Nothing. This is what I mean. The difference between prudence and practicality. 
versus ideology. And so you'll see a lot of these radio shows and TV shows, they're really aimed at trying to influence the president's foreign policy. You know, Mr. President, we know you're good, but you're surrounded by a bunch of neocons. It's the neocons. And so you have people you respect, ladies and gentlemen, who sound like the left. When in fact, that's not the case at all. So, I trust the president. I have faith in the president on this. He understands what he's dealing with. He's dealing with an Islamo-Nazi regime that if they had nuclear weapons, I fear they would use them. And that's the risk. That's the risk the Code Pink Republicans are willing to take. Is that a risk you're willing to take? I don't know how we condemn Obama for appeasing the Iranians and yet we have people code pink Republicans who insist on appeasing the Iranians really it's usually the same crowd isn't it the same crowd that really trashes America trashes America's institutions trashes the state of Israel like you know Israel's behind it it's the Jewish lobby. You know, like this clown in the Washington Compost. Al Fink, or whatever his name was. Al Fraud. It's the Jewish lobby. Really, it's the Jewish lobby that told the Iranians to do what they did today? To the United Kingdom? How sick and stupid this is. We have a United States Senator Rand Paul links to an article by a guy that used to call himself the Southern Avenger was a secessionist and a neo-confederate. I mean, this is the insanity you get from the Code Pink Republicans who apply their radical libertarian ideology to the Constitution. That's not how you interpret the Constitution, nor is it how you interpret what's taking place all over the world. If you want to live your life that way, go for it. I've got no problem with that. That's how I want to live my life for the most part. But it's unfortunate. The Iranians don't want to live that way. The Chinese government doesn't want to live that way. The North Korean government doesn't want to live that way. Putin doesn't want to live that way. I also recall that so many of these people, these code pink Republicans, hate America first, even though they pretend otherwise on the right, were uh, making excuses for Putin. I'm not talking about interference in the election. No, but they, they would even say that they had admiration for Putin. Would that be the Putin who sends jets to buzz our bombers and our ships? I mean, it's so bizarre to me. It's so bizarre. So there's a tendency, unfortunately, it's not just the Democrat Party media that do this, but it's also the code pinkers that are in the media who do the same thing. They load up their guest lists with propagandists who will support their positions. Or if they have somebody on who disagrees with them, they'll shut them down, interrupt them constantly. All they'll throw in non-sequiturs like, well, what about the Iraq War? Well, I don't know. What about the Spanish-American War? What does that have to do with it? You have to look at each situation as it presents itself and try to make the best judgment you can. That's what you're supposed to do if you're a serious person. Fortunately, there aren't a lot of serious people. You know, like Mark Levin, the neocon, who puts war 
first and America last. Kind of insane, low IQ Neanderthal writes an article like that. I don't know what kind of senator links to it. Right, Rand? Chip off the old block. Father was a kook. May I say, with all due respect. All right. Let's see if there's any calls here, Mr. Producer. Unfortunately, my call screen is buzzed out. Go ahead and, and give me a good one. In Israel? Okay. Rick in Israel on the Levin app. You understand this is part of the Jewish conspiracy, right, Rick? It's exactly part of the Jewish conspiracy. Yeah, right. So um, thank you for taking my call. You are truly my teacher, my professor, and I love listening to you. I even love Tropic Jam. Now, okay, thank I you. get to listen to you. Yes. Um, I was going to say that the left views us, with, views us Jews with so much contempt that they don't even, even by their own double standards, by their own canon of, of, uh, of leftist ideology, we don't get to identify or to own when we feel like we're being attacked uh, by anti-Semites. Like uh, Omar and Talib and so forth. You know, scream racism at the drop of anything that might even be uh, that that is tangentially, very tangentially related or unrelated to them. No question about it. And they get and they get covered by the Washington Post and New York Times and CNN and all the rest of them. That's right. And I was I was going to add, you were talking about Comcast before, and the fact that the New York Times is owned by a Jewish family, and so it's. Well, a little less so. You know, a Mexican billionaire stepped in and bought 17 or so percent of it. But still, pretty much. Equally contemptible. Mm -hmm. Equally contemptible. All right, Uh, my friend. By the way, what time is it in Israel? It is a 3.12 in the morning, and I'm about to collapse. How do you listen to this show in Israel, in the Mark Levin app? Normally, I listen to the podcast because I'm, I'm not usually up at this time of the night, but, but I'm listening to the app right now. All right, my friend. Take care of yourself. Trump has an 80% popularity rate there. Steve, Boone, North Carolina on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hey, I just did a little internet search on Donnie Deutsch, and it's uh it seemed like he was a young guy in the 80s and he got control of his dad's advertising firm or and as soon as he got control of it he sold it and then he had a show on msnbc for it looked like a couple of months and his uh his main demo ratings were like seventy four thousand people a night i mean he's a loser boy that is a loser so why would Scarborough and Scarborough, almost like Sacco and Van Setti, why would uh, Scarborough and Scarborough put them on their program? Because they have what? I see, them on, I see them on TV all the time. Well, not all the time, but I mean, I see them occasionally on news programs, maybe on CNBC, and he just never really has anything very good or incitive to say. Oh, yes, he does. More and more he's saying... You white people out there, I want to talk to you white people. He almost sounds like a Klansman. You white people out there, white people, I want to talk to the white people out there. Well, that's very odd because that's, I mean, uh, um, 
like I'm new to North Carolina. I worked at the Chicago Board of Trade for a long time. A lot of Jewish people around. And just, I don't know, just got it like to, as a Christian, like learning how they think about religion and things. Right. And as a, as him being a Jewish person, I don't understand, like how you put it, like the self-haters. I really don't understand that. Well, it's, it's a tough thing to understand. Uh, and it, it's difficult to understand. It's uh, gone on a long time. And, and by the way, I love your new book. I have not. I've been reading, skipping around reading it. I have not finished it. Well, thank you. Uh, but I hear a lot of it from you listening to your show. Well, you probably hear a lot of it from other shows, too, quite frankly. All right. I appreciate your call, Steve. God bless you, my friend. It's amazing how many emails I get because, again, I don't have time to listen to everybody else's show. It's not out of disrespect, but I have other things to do. And how many big hosts out there use stuff right out of the book but dare not mention it. You can figure out who the hosts are. Do they mention the book or not? This whole issue is in Chapter 6, even before any of the tweets. It's in Chapter 6. The Democratic Party media, proven in Chapter 1. The history of the media, chapter two. The use of propaganda and pseudo events, chapter three. Character, abuse of power, chapter seven. In terms of how they've covered presidents in the past. So we cover a lot of territory, but we do it, I think I do it. There is no we. I do it in a, uh, I think, compelling way. I don't have any co authors like, you know, the Southern Avenger. All by my lonesome. But I hope you folks will jump in on Unfreedom of the Press. Got the whole weekend now. It's Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. Amazon.com's there. You're probably going to Costco, maybe Walmart. I'll tell you, Barnes & Noble is a terrific bookstore. They've been wonderful to us. Hudson has told us that they're going to get the book. I don't know if it's there or not, or yet, at the airports. Uh, We appreciate all those... Uh, bookstores, Barnes and Noble, Sam's, BJ's, and others. I hope they're still carrying the book. We're two months on the New York Times bestseller list. Two months. Uh, and in terms of sales of hardcover books, we're at 300,000 hardcover books. I think we're at about 80,000 e-books and e-audio. So we're almost at 400,000 so-called units. Do you know uh, Jim Acosta sold 12,000 hardcover copies of his book? See the difference? You folks are engaged. I'm telling you, something is stirring out there. You're sick and tired of being called names. You're sick and tired of the effort to disenfranchise you. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide 
learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale celebrates its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Now, these include free online courses, the publication of its free speech digest in Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. What a school, huh? Great president there, Larry Arn, dear friend. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. Every Democrat running for office should be required to live under their own proposals. They should be required today, where possible, to live under their own proposals. So why isn't Kamala Harris paying reparations for the fact that her great-great-grandfather on her father's side in Jamaica had slaves? Or Beto and Mrs. O'Rourke. Why aren't they? And why don't they pay every one of their campaign volunteers $15 an hour? Newsweek, Sanders campaign battles with staff demanding $15 hourly pay, which candidates said should be federal minimum wage. Campaign workers for Bernie Sanders have taken aim at one of the senator's key policies in his 2020 presidential run, raising the federal minimum wage. According to the Washington Compost, some members of Sanders' campaign team have been lobbying to raise their wages so that they make $15 hourly rate that the Vermont senator has frequently called for both on the campaign trail and in Washington, D.C. Now, are some of these... Campaign workers, women of color, Mr. Producer? Because if he's not paying women of color $15 an hour, then he's a racist. There's no question about it. The Post obtained a draft of a letter that the campaign's union planned to send to Sanders campaign manager, Faiz Shakir, which read in part that workers cannot be expected to build the largest grassroots organizing program in American history while making poverty wages, I'm quoting, Given our campaign's commitment to fighting for a living wage of at least $15 an hour, we believe it is only fair that the campaign would carry through the commitment to its own field team. Field organizers, ladies and gentlemen, they're working 60 hours a week, which lowers the average per hour pay to $13 an hour. Now, they apparently can't live on $13 an hour, but they can on $15 an hour. Obviously, Bernie Sanders is a is a racist. There's no question he's a racist because I'm sure many of these people are women of color. I'll be right back. It's Friday, and do you know what that means in Washington, D.C.? Bad news for the rest of us. It always comes on a Friday, right? was reported earlier today that administration officials in the, White, in the White House are prepping a budget deal with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats to bust through binding spending caps by imposing socialist drug pricing controls in Medicare. 
gets worse. Placing inflationary caps, as they call them, on drug prices, they're not going to help seniors on Medicare whatsoever. It's a gimmick. If prices go above a certain level, the federal government will assess a fee, or what most of us Americans call a tax. And like any new federal tax, any revenues from them go to the federal government, not directly to seniors who need it the most, not even for needed reforms to Medicare, not even to build the wall at our southern border. Get this, much of it will go straight into Nancy Pelosi's federal purse to spend as she wants. And folks, many experts and conservatives are claiming this deal with Pelosi would actually increase seniors' Medicare premiums and out-of-pocket expenses. It's horrible. The fact that some in the administration and some Republicans in Congress will go along with this is uh, mind-boggling. They might want to remember that our senior friends, so many of them proud listeners, vote near religiously. And thank God they do. Really, robbing Medicare patients to pay off Pelosi? Price controls are bad enough. But to use them for more wasteful pork barrel spending at our seniors' expense takes the cake. Our seniors deserve better. In fact, we all do. Please get the facts. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com. 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 My buddy Jeffrey Lord, great writer, great thinker, has a wonderful new book out called Swamp Wars. And I haven't been talking to a lot of authors lately and a lot of columnists lately, mostly because they don't talk to me. <laughs> so I, I have my buddy Jeffrey Lord here, Swamp Wars, Donald Trump and the New American Populism versus the Old Order. How are you, my friend? My friend, I am just great, and I will always talk to you. It's one of the delights of my life. Well, you are a good friend. We go back to the Reagan years. and uh, But tell us about your book, Swamp Wars. Well, what I, the point that I try and make is that what you have here, if you remember Ronald Reagan saying in that famous 1964 Goldwater speech, where he talked about, that, you know, are, are our decisions going to be made for us by a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital? Well, that little intellectual elite has now just metastasized. Washington, D.C. is the capital of the swamp, but these swamps are now all over the country, and for that matter, around the globe. What you've got here are a collection of self-appointed elites who see themselves as intellectually and morally superior to regular average Americans, the people in your audience, and they use that as a basis to fight the Trump agenda across the board. And it doesn't matter what the issue is. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're going to talk about the travel ban, they've got a legal division that's going to go out there and get the president. If you're going to talk about sports, look at this whole deal with Colin Kaepernick and Nike and all this. These are what I call swamp wars, where these people decide that they know better, they're superior to everyone else, and they're going to set the rules. And what's happened here is there has been this enormous, this has been going on for years, and there's this enormous backlash. And, you know, we've just seen a whole week's worth of swamp wars uh, with, with the president's tweets and this whole business with the squad. And before that, it was about the 4th of July. I, I, honestly, Mark, th that one drove me crazy because you would remember, as I certainly do, when I'm looking at people on television during this 4th of July thing saying presidents don't make speeches on 4th of July, I forget where, I don't know where you were on the 4th of July of 1986. But the White House had me carted out to the 
USS John F. Kennedy in the middle of New York Harbor. The president, President Reagan, was on the battleship Iowa. It was a whole massive day of ships and planes, everything else, and then the president addressed the nation from the battleship Iowa and then fireworks. This kind of thing happens all the time, and they're trying to say that this was this is some Trumpian exercise, etc. It just gaslighting people. I mean, it's just, God, this stuff just drives me crazy. And it never ends, Jeffrey Lord. It never ends. I mean, before that, it was the word nasty. Did he mean the princess was nasty or what she said was nasty? Right. And it's constant. So it's constant. who makes up the swamp? Oh, my goodness. All these self-appointed elites in, in, the, in the media, academia, the legal profession, uh, political consultants, the kind of folks that we know swarm in Washington, the lobbyists, uh, all of these people, and so many more, uh, ju- just set themselves up. I mean, if, if you personally were invited to give a speech at, say, Harvard University, boom, right there, on the spot, there would be all kinds of protests and people would try and shut you down. That's a swamp war. They cannot abide free speech. They cannot abide liberty and freedom, which you have talked and written about so eloquently over the years. What you talk about in unfreedom of the press, this is a swamp war where these people are all ideologically oriented in these newsrooms. And everything, everything is run through that filter and then presented to the American people. And it's, the, book it's, is, the book is Swamp Wars, my buddy Jeffrey Lord. It's an outstanding But Let me ask you a question, Jeff. Yeah. You are a... Uh, a paid contributor at CNN. And CNN, well, and they, and they were all, they're all part of this swamp. I mean, they work closely with the, the uh, bureaucracy, the Democrats and so forth. It's a, uh, it's, it's a closed circle, even though there's many of them in it. And the media is part of it. It's like the, the Russia collusion thing. The media aided and abetted that the entire time they were taking the leaks from senior levels of the FBI and others and pushing it out there. They weren't reporting. You were at CNN. What was it like, seriously, being at CNN? Did you enjoy going in there? Did you enjoy well, being on the panels? I, I enjoyed the combat, but what was interesting to me was this evolved <laughs> over time. I mean, I, when I first got there, you know, it seemed pretty normal to me. I mean, I'd been on television before. I'd been on with Sean and, and others at Fox. Nothing abnormal. But over time, as the Trump campaign sort of launched, I began to realize that what was happening was I was the only one on the panel who could talk about this stuff from a conservative point of view and, and talk about Trump. It was sometimes as much as eight to one against me. And this just sort of evolved into a thing. And I remember one night uh, that, that uh, this was going on, and we got to a commercial break, and I looked down, and somebody said, Trump just tweeted about you. And I looked, and he says, there they are, eight to one against that nice Jeffrey Lord. Mm-hmm. And on another occasion, this was going on, and I, I looked down to see a note from our friend Sean Hannity, who said, I can't bear to watch this anymore. Mm-hmm. So it evolved. And then finally, you know, I would get really feisty with all of this sort of stuff because I realized that there was just this swamp mentality here of this old order fighting desperately for preservation. And and no one was supposed to object. No one was supposed to say we should do things differently. Uh, No one, God forbid, was supposed to be a real conservative on there. And so after me, they went. And they were being urged on by the likes of Media Matters, you know, who wanted me fired almost from the get-go. 
And eventually, of course, that's what they did. And now they're just so far out there, it's just mind-boggling to me. When, when you were removed, who told you? Uh, her name was Rebecca Cutler. She was an assistant to Jeff Zucker, who was the president of the network, and she was in charge of uh, contributors. And I have to say, she clearly was not happy with her task. She had been told to do it. And she had to do the dirty work, as it were. And she so did. she must have been told by Zucker himself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's no question this was Jeff Zucker. And what was your alleged defense? My alleged defense was a column in the American Spectator that uh, was about Sean when Media Matters was trying to shut him down. And I wrote about fascist Media Matters mm-hmm. and uh, trying to shut down Hannity. Which it is. That's a truthful uh, statement. Exactly. And then I wrote... Uh, an imaginary version of the First Amendment as they would rewrite it, as Media Matters would rewrite it in fascist style. And then I included the sentence at the end, the American spectator has been unable to confirm that the following words of the, the, the ending words of the draft were Sig Heil. Well, I said that because these people have an enormously bad reputation for anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seems perfectly logical to me to mock, ridicule, hold in contempt and condemn these kind of people. We're going through this right now with the yes, squad. We are. Yep. And, and you know, you, you, you were so eloquent last night. I mean, it really made an impression on me. And I mentioned this in my column tomorrow at Newsbusters. But, you know, we have to stand up against this stuff now. So I stood up against this, and they wanted to protect media matters. And so, boom, I was out. And uh, Jeff Zucker himself never had the courage to call you directly, did he? No, he never did. Never did. That was it. <laughs> let, let me ask you a question, though. The, the, some of these hosts, did they treat you with respect, or did they dismiss you, or they basically just uh, move from segment to segment? No, I, I have to say they were all pretty good to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I understand their their job, strictly speaking, is to be journalists and ask hard questions, quote-unquote, and all that kind of thing. I never had a personal problem with any of them. Um you know, I got to say my piece. Um, what I would learn later, I mean, there was one report, for instance, afterwards that uh, Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon had gone to uh, Jeff Zucker and said, you know, they didn't want me on their show anymore. Well, all I know is that right the day before this happened, I was scheduled to be on uh, Chris's show in the morning. He was then with Newsday. And um, I, I frequently, and you would, you were familiar with my situation here with my then 97, 98-year-old mom, um, I, I would go to CNN, do the show, and then I would come back to Pennsylvania, which is a three-hour drive. So doing Don Lemon's show at night was a bit of a problem, and that was my problem. It was not mm-hmm. theirs. So I, I generally felt they were fine. I was more than willing to argue mm-hmm. on air with them, absolutely. Well, listen, but the I book, is, the book is... within CNN, Jeff Zucker okay. said he was protecting me, and I thought, protecting me from Got, what? The, bu- the book is outstanding. The book is outstanding, Swamp Wars. I want people to get out there and grab a copy this weekend. And, Jeff, thank you very, very much, and uh, we'll be in touch. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Do you wish that double chin would just disappear? Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, people look at your jawline. It simply tells your age. And here's Robin from Lubbock, Texas. She said, I put Genesel jawline cream on my neck two or three days ago. 
This is the best my neck has looked in 20 years. People told me my face looks young. I'm blown away. You know, using MDL technology in Chamonix's proprietary base, Genesel's brand-new jawline treatment specifically targets the delicate skin around the neck and jaw for tight, healthy, younger-looking skin. See results right before your eyes, or 100% of your money back, no questions asked. Let me repeat that. Results right before your eyes, or 100% of your money back, no questions asked. Call now, and the classic Genesel for bags and puffiness is free with your order. And to start seeing results in 12 hours or less, Genesel Immediate Effects is also yours, free. No double chin, no turkey neck, no sagging jawline, because no one needs to know your age. 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. Get your two free gifts and free express shipping. That's 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesel.com, Genesel.com, 800-SKIN-604. Mr. Producer, how much time do we have? Let's go to cut 12. Nora O'Donnell on The Late Show last night. Go. This news seat that you're in right now is the most storied one on television. This is the house that Murrow and Cronkite built. Yes. What does that job mean to you? Uh, it means an incredible amount, you know, and uh, I've been reading Walter Cronkite's uh, biography. He held the post for more than 20 years, was known as the most trusted man in America, the most trusted voice. And one of the things he said was journalism is what we need to make democracy work. And. All right, that's a no. I don't disagree with that. Unfortunately, that's not what we have mostly. Mr. Producer, remind me to send a copy of Unfreedom of the Press to Nora O'Donnell, okay? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we need, freedom of the press. And I want to strongly encourage you, as we go into the weekend, to secure your copy. We've talked about it a lot now. But there's nothing I can say. You actually have to read it to get it all. You can get it on Amazon.com right now. You can get it at Costco, Walmart, wherever you're shopping over the weekend. Our friends at Books A Million and Barnes & Noble, Target's supposed to have some, Sam's, BJ's, wherever you look. But you can grab a copy right away, Unfreedom of the Press. This is what Nora O'Donnell will never talk about. But the press belongs to you and me. Ladies and gentlemen, in your honor... The American people.
We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, border patrol on ice. Thank you. Stand strong, folks. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Have a wonderful weekend, folks. Put this week behind you with the left-wing press and everything. In fact, enjoy your reading of Unfreedom of the Press. I know you will. And good night, Dad. And good night, Mom. And don't forget, Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Life, Liberty, and Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.